Hello everybody and welcome to episode 2 of our YouTube and podcast series where we're reviewing every single chapter of Harry Potter. Today we're talking about the Philosopher's Stone chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass. If you haven't already, check out last week's video where we spoke about chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived, just so you can be all caught up and go along for the journey with us. We upload every Friday at 6pm UK time talking about a new chapter. Now just quickly... As some of you know, if you've been following me on YouTube for a little while, I love to go on off, off on a little bit of a tangent. So if you'll just bear with me for one second, I just wanted to ask everybody a quick favor. So I've been on YouTube for quite a long time, making videos, making content, and I've got a bit of an idea how it works. I'm not, I'm nowhere near an expert or anything. We're not some massive YouTube or anything, but we can grow slowly. We're, we've just hit 320 subscribers while I'm recording this. So thank you very much, everyone, for that. But this is my first time ever doing a podcast. And I'll be honest, I have got absolutely no idea how it works, how you're supposed to grow in terms of on Spotify and Apple Music and everything like that. So I thought I'd ask you a favor. If you're watching this on YouTube, please just click the link in the description to take you to the podcast version. It'll take you over to Spotify and just click that follow and that download button. It'll take 10 seconds just to download it. And then you can listen to a nice audio version of the podcast and hopefully that'll just help us to grow. Hopefully the analytics and the algorithm will see that the podcast is going well and it's growing and it'll share us to some more people and we can bring even more people to the series and make it even better, even more interactive. So that was just a cheeky little favour I had to ask everybody. It'd really, really mean a lot to me. But without further ado, let's get into this episode. And I think we should start by doing a little recap of what we learned last week when we talked about chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. So chapter one, we were introduced to the Dursleys. Uh, this was back all the way 11 years ago, the night that Harry's parents had died. We sort of realised that the Dursleys aren't exactly the nicest people in the world. We follow them on a on an ordinary day in their life. We go with Vernon to work in the drill factory drunnings. And slowly we see that his day slightly gets a bit strange. He's noticing people dressed funny, wizards around him, and he starts hearing whispers about Harry, Harry Potter. This chapter goes on and we start sort of get an understanding that the Dursleys don't like the Potters, they don't mix with them, they don't want anything to do with them. And then we cut to night and we meet Albus Dumbledore. He has a meeting with Professor McGonagall and Hagrid and it's explained to us what's happened. The Potters have died, Harry Potter, this young boy, has taken down Lord Voldemort but he's now been orphaned. He doesn't have anywhere to live and he's going to be left with the Dursleys. That's a recap of chapter one. If you haven't seen that episode, please do go and check it out. I had a lot of fun making it. It's my first time ever doing anything like that, so I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't read chapter one or chapter two, now would be a perfect time to start if you wanted to sort of get into this rereading with me or even re-listening. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that I had to make notes, I would 100% be listening to the Stephen Fry audiobook. I just can't keep up with him when he's talking, so I have to read it through. So, without further ado, Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass. I'm going to read the opening paragraph. Nearly 10 years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on the front step, but Privet Drive had hardly changed at all. The sun rose on the same tidy front gardens and lit up the brass number 4 on the Dursleys' front door. It crept into their living room, which was almost exactly the same as it had been on the night when Mr Dursley had seen that fateful news report about the owls. Only the photographs on the mantelpiece really showed how much time had passed. Ten years ago, there had been lots of pictures of what looked like a large pink beach ball wearing different coloured bobble hats, but Dudley Dursley was no longer a baby. 
and now the photographs showed a large, blonde boy riding his first bicycle on a roundabout at the fair, playing a computer game with his father, being hugged and kissed by his mother. The room held no sign at all that another boy lived in the house too. Yet Harry Potter was still there, asleep at the moment, but not for long. His Aunt Petunia was awake, and it was her shrill voice which made the first noise of the day. Up! Get up! Now! Disclaimer, I'm not very good at voices, so that's something that throughout this podcast, maybe I'll get better at, or maybe I'll just completely give up on it if you can't tell. But anyway, that's our introduction. Essentially, nothing has changed in 10 years. We've gone 10 years into the future now. Uh, I believe this is 1991. Please don't kill me, Potterheads, if I'm slightly out on that. But we've gone 10 years into the future. Obviously, in the UK now, the, the boys are sort of 11 going on 12. Uh, no, actually, no, Harry's just about to turn 11, isn't he? Whereas Dudley would already be 11, I believe, in this one. Um, in in the UK, at least, that's when you are about to start secondary school that summer. So that sort of can give you a bit of an idea of, oh, maybe one of them's going to get selected for a new magical school. Perhaps. I promise I've never read this book, definitely. Um, no, so... Sorry, I need another drink. I am very unprofessional still at this so 10 years have passed and the the Dursleys have changed not at all have they they're still the same they're still absolutely self-obsessed with Dudley and spoiler that never really changes um I guess I'm lucky I've never really met anybody like that but I'm sure there are so many people out there like that I suppose it's kind of this this could sound really stereotypical, but I guess maybe it's a little bit of an only child thing. You know, I, I'm not an only child, but I guess when you only have one, and they've kind of always just kept that. Like if you walked into the Dursleys' house, you'd still imagine that, you know, Dudley is an only child, as it says they don't really acknowledge Harry, and I guess that's one of those things where it probably just came down to a very sort of big decision early on, where they sort of turned around and. I guess decided it you know it could have gone two ways when they got Harry they could have gone do you know what we don't like his parents but if we bring him up as one of our own then he probably would have turned out as horrible as Dudley and you know none of this would have happened and they would have just I guess forgot about Hogwarts and everything they would have just thrown out the letters and Harry would have had a temper tantrum but they'd have got over it and bought him a new computer but no they decided to really make their lives hell by just deciding they didn't like him and I suppose that'll have a little bit to do with something that we'll find out later on I think in the next chapter um, to do with their knowledge about the magical world and how much they understand that so we'll get into that soon. So, anyway, Aunt Petunia, obviously, she she shouts, get up now, get up now, up, up. She's obviously rude. I mean, you could guess that, but, God, it just makes you think how hard the last 10 years must have been for Harry. And it sort of blows you away to think that he's such a nice person. But you can see where, I suppose, you know, later in the book series, we realise he's got some sort of form of anger management. Uh, maybe anger management. He can lose his temper pretty quickly. And I think that's obvious because he's probably boiled up all this rage and all he wants to do is shout back at his aunt and uncle and Dudley, but I guess he can't because he'd probably just get locked in his cupboard or whatever. So, context of today. Today is Dudley's birthday. Now, I'm sure we all know that from the sort of the film clip, probably one of the best film scenes when he's sort of moaning about his presence and all that, but that's where we are now. So Harry's just had a good dream. He's had a good dream last night about a flying motorbike that he thought he'd had before, which is obviously a callback to him arriving with Hagrid on Sirius's bike to Privet Drive. And I've put here in my notes that 
that sort of and i'm remembering writing this note now and sort of thinking i want to talk about this do you think that harry has actually had that dream is that just a recurring dream that he's had for probably his whole life then or has he just happened to have this dream for the first time and he's remembering back all the way to being a baby and that actual night when he arrived on the flying motorbike i can't decide I, I can't work that out. I feel like it must be a recurring dream, but maybe not every night, just every now and then, because there's no way... I mean, even if he is magical, there's no way he'd remember that from being a baby, surely. Um, but I don't know. Does anyone have recurring dreams that far back? Uh, I don't I don't think I do, necessarily, but I guess maybe I don't know. So Amber Junior tells Harry that she wants him to look after the bacon. They're obviously going to be doing a massive fry-up. Um, for anyone who's not from England, I, I don't know, do you know what an all, a, a, a sort of all-day English breakfast is? Um, or a full English breakfast, sorry. Uh, it's, I guess, sausage, bacon, egg, beans, black pudding, mushrooms. Great breakfast. I imagine they're making one of those, and they'll do probably about three or four of them. And that's just made me very hungry now, even though I have just had lunch. So, um, it's Dudley's birthday, which Harry's not happy about. Harry sleeps in the cupboard under the stairs. So, this, this is the first time, actually, we find out that Harry lives in the cupboard under the stairs, which is kind of mental. I mean, when you actually think about that, I mean, that sounds bad at first, but as we sort of learn later on, well, I think in the next chapter again, they have a spare bedroom, which makes it even worse. I mean... It's one thing if, you know, I, I suppose if they'd bought this house um, before they had Harry and it was only two bedrooms, then look, it's still very cruel, but I guess if maybe they couldn't afford to move house and, and they were just sort of stuck with it. But they had a spare bedroom and they still put him in the cupboard under the stairs. I mean, that's just a bit, just a bit mean, isn't it, really? I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not, I'm not a big fan, to be honest. So we're going through Dudley's presents next. He's got a racing bike, a second TV, and a new computer. I mean, that's not a bad birthday haul, is it? I mean, I think we've all had, you know, hopefully we've all had good presents at some point, but uh, that is at least three or four Christmases worth of good presents, I think, for most people. But probably more than that. In, in 10 years of sort of being a kid at Christmas, if you managed to get a second TV, a new computer, and a racing bike, you'd be pretty happy with that. But to get that all at one birthday... That, that, that's a pretty good result i think um so we get a description of harry now this is important because the, the description of harry even though throughout these books we go through seven years it never really changes it's a very sort of i guess accurate description of how he how he turns out so he's thin-faced knobbly knees black hair and bright green eyes he wears glasses taped with sellotape from dudley punching him he also wears dudley's hand-me-downs so again they, they won't even buy you know they bought dudley a second tv too and a racing bike and a new computer but harry's never had any of his own clothes i mean that kind of says everything you need to know really uh you know i mean jake i think she does a really good job in this sort of chapter of just showing how hard harry's had it i guess and i think that's important because this book more than anything is about showing how happy harry is at hogwarts that's what we learn throughout this book how much he loves it and how important his friends are to him which is so important running through the series i think this chapter is crucial for that because you realize you know ron and hermione literally are like siblings to him because his sort of quote sibling was so horrible so i, I guess i can see that I, I love this chapter for that sort of reason it really sets the tone for you in a good way so we're told about his scar as well uh, his scar was from the car crash his parents died in apparently now as we know 
that's not exactly true. Uh, well, I hope we know that. Um, we were sort of told it in chapter one, so if you've forgotten that, then maybe that's not a good start. Maybe we do need to reread re the chapter. Uh, but this is this is obviously a sign of the Dursleys just not accepting magic because they're not going to tell him. Whether that's because they're worried that he's going to become a wizard, or it's because they just they hated magic so much that they just don't even want to think about it, or they just hate Harry's parents and want to sort of don't want to paint them as heroes or whatever. I'm not entirely sure. In fact. I'd be interested to know if they even know the full story of what happened. I mean, Dumbledore did leave a letter, so I presume they do. Uh, obviously, they know that they were murdered, but I wonder if they know the full context of the story of how it happened and why it happened. Uh, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to say that now because that probably would be a massive spoiler for people who have only just started reading it. So we've had Harry's description. Dudley is the complete opposite. Dudley has a large pink face. Not much neck, small watery blue eyes and thick blonde hair that lays smoothly on his thick fat head. Now, I'm not really sure why Dudley sort of had to be really fat. I presume it's sort of to say that he's fed well and maybe Harry doesn't really get much food. But this is, you know, I don't really know. I don't really, in some ways you sort of hear that and you feel sorry for him, but I guess that's kind of another way of looking at it that's kind of the beauty of these books there are different ways you can interpret it i mean i read that and i think poor dudley i mean he doesn't have a chance i mean he's just literally been fed and fed and fed um and he's fat i guess that's that's all it is i mean i've said here as well i think it's quite different from the film because i don't think he's that tubby in the film i don't think his hair's that blonde is it i think he's got a lot darker hair the, the actor who plays him i'm sorry I, I can't remember his name at all um but obviously you know there's they sort of they've still gone for the same sort of idea but they've come across quite different so then we get the famous quote 36 that's two less than last year this is about opening presents so dudley's sat down to open his presents he's opened a few i think he's counting them at this point he goes 36 that's two less than last year they point out aunt marge's present making it 37 which i believe is more than the film i think in the film he has 36 in total i'm completely forgetting this now um i think it was i think it was in the film he gets 36 and he says last year he had 37 and they say they'll go out and buy him two new presents am i right i could be getting this confused i, I could be getting that confused please let me know in the comments because i can't believe i messed it up it's such a famous bit in the in the film but but by the way just a little bit of context um I haven't actually watched the films now for well over a year, so I used to watch them all the time. I mean, they were a Christmas tradition for me to watch them all the way through. In the UK, they sort of play them on TV. I think on ITV, they sort of, they'll play one on Saturday every week for like eight weeks and all the way in the run-up to Christmas. But I've kind of gone on a little bit of a, a thing where I'm not going to watch any of them because I want to be able to go back to them in a couple of years and just really enjoy them. Because I feel like I've got to the point now where if a Harry Potter film comes on, I'll watch it, but... I'll sit on my phone, I'll talk to someone, because I just know them off by heart, so I don't fully enjoy them. So it's been a long time since I actually watched them now. It's been, yeah, well over a year. Um, I think the first time I'll sort of break that streak will be re-watching the Fantastic Beasts series, just in time for the third one that's coming out this year. But whether or not I'll actually sort of, I guess, stick with it and, and watch the rest of them, or just watch the Fantastic Beasts one, I'm not 100% sure yet. I've not decided. 
Okay, so when Dudley said all of this about his presence, Uncle Vernon just chuckles. He says, little tyke wants his money's worth, just like his father. Add a boy, Dudley. And he ruffles his hair. And I thought that was really funny, because, I mean, if I got 37 presents for my birthday and turned around and, you know, was screaming that it wasn't enough, I think Mum and Dad would probably take my presents off me and I'd never have another birthday again, to be honest. So it's just another example of making the Dursleys hateable. Um making you understand why Harry cannot wait to escape from there, which is completely understandable. So we go through a few more of Dudley's presents, 16 new computer games, a cine camera, a remote control aeroplane, a gold wristwatch, when Aunt Petunia comes back after answering the telephone, looking both angry and worried. She says, bad news, Vernon, Mrs. Fig's broken her leg. She can't take him. She jerked her head in Harry's direction. This causes Dudley to have a freak out. So, Dudley's birthday surprise is that he's going to the zoo. That's what he's doing for the day. And as we find out, Harry is never invited to go to the zoo. Uh, oh, sorry, not to the zoo. To go on any of Dudley's birthday sort of special things. He's always left with Mrs. Fig, the neighbour. Um, to his dislike, he just he doesn't like that. I think I think it says that he always has to sort of go through pictures of her cats and. It just sounds like a bit of a rubbish day, especially when you know that Dudley's off having a fantastic time, eating loads, looking at creepy animals and stuff. The sort of stuff that an 11-year-old would just have their mind blown by and just have a great day. So they start going through different reasons why Harry can't go and sort of trying to think of ideas for what to do with Harry. Um, they mentioned leaving him in the car, uh, to which Mr. Dursley says there is absolutely no car, no chance, sorry, he's leaving him in a new car. I don't know what he thinks Harry's going to do, if he's just going to wreck it or something. I mean, the impression I get is that Harry is literally just such a quiet boy, sort of does what he's told. I don't think he'd wreck it. He'd probably be a bit bored, but obviously they don't trust him again maybe it's because they know eventually his magic powers are going to start showing who knows so at this point um the, the doorbell goes and dudley's been having a massive tantrum he's obviously been crying he's used to getting what he wants and they kind of just concede that i guess harry has to come and dudley is not having that he hates the idea that harry might ruin his special day um but then the doorbell goes and we realize it's Piers Polkis, which is apparently Dudley's best friend. He's a scrawny boy with a face like a rat, and he's usually the one who holds people's arms behind their backs while Dudley hits them. Um, so again, he's one of those sorts of people. Uh, I think we've all known them, the sort of people who are kind of cowards. They're too scared to do anything themselves, but they love egging other people on and helping other sort of people. The perfect crony, I suppose you could say. He is Dudley's version of what Crabbe and Goyle are to Malfoy, who, again, if you're reading these books for the first time, you're going to learn who they are very soon. Very important parts of the series, of course. As soon as the doorbell goes, Dudley stops crying because, you know, he's 11. You don't want your mates to see you crying, especially when you're the school bully. That's going to completely ruin your image, isn't it? So he stops crying. Now I'm going to read the rant that Uncle Vernon goes on. So Uncle Vernon pulls Harry to the side. He says, I'm warning you, he said, putting his large purple face right up close to Harry's. I'm warning you now, boy, any funny business, anything at all, and you'll be in the cupboard from now until Christmas. I'm not going to do anything, said Harry, honestly, but Uncle Vernon didn't believe him. No one did. The problem was, strange things often happened around Harry, and it was just no good telling the Dursleys he didn't make them happen. Once Aunt Petunia, tired of Harry coming back from the barbers looking up as though he hadn't been at all, had taken a pair of kitchen scissors and cut his hair so short he had almost 
he was almost bald except for his fringe, which he left to hide that horrible scar. Dudley had laughed at himself silly at Harry, who spent a sleepless night imagining school the next day, where he was already laughed at for his baggy clothes and sellotape glasses. Next morning, however, he had got up to find his hair exactly as it had been before Aunt Petunia had sheared it off. He'd been given a week in his cupboard for this, even though he had tried to explain that he couldn't explain that he couldn't explain how it had grown back so quickly. Now, I mean, I thought this was mental, because that's the sort of thing that would mess you up if you were a kid. I, I don't know if anybody agrees with me, but can you imagine if you had a haircut and you just woke up and it was back? I mean, I don't know. If I was 11, maybe you just imagine you dreamt it. But then if if an adult, you know, when you're 11 or 10, you sort of imagine that adults are this sort of all-knowing person. They know everything. And if they were freaking out and couldn't understand how it happened, you'd freak out. I mean, that is just weird i guess but but i guess that sort of backs up my idea now i'm thinking about it about all the sort of magic stuff i mean surely they know that's magic they they they, they must know they, they obviously can work it out that he's going to be a wizard and that's clearly why they're they're getting more and more angry so they tell us another story uh, in fact another couple so another time aunt petunia had been trying to force him into a revolting old jumper of dudley's brown with orange bubbles the harder she tried to pull it over his head the smaller it seemed to become until finally it might have fitted a glove puppet but certainly wouldn't fit harry aunt petunia had decided it must have shrunk in the wash and to his great relief harry wasn't punished now i think that one would be just as weird but maybe not as scary as your hair because I don't know, maybe as a 10-year-old you'd assume that it could shrink in the wash and keep shrinking after it came out. I mean, you might have to be a little bit thick, but it would make more sense, I suppose, than your hair. I'd, be, I'd definitely be more scared about the hair one. And then finally, the most mental one of all. On the other hand, he'd got into terrible trouble for being found on the roof of the school kitchens. Dudley's gang had been chasing him as usual when, as much to Harry's surprise as anyone else's, there he was sitting on the chimney. The Dursleys had received a very angry letter from Harry's headmistress telling them that Harry had been climbing school buildings. But all he'd tried to do, as he shouted at Uncle Vernon through the locked door of his cupboard, was jump behind the big bins outside the kitchen doors. Harry, his favourite subject this morning, it was motorbike. Ah. Sorry, I, I've literally just completely read the... I've started reading the wrong bit there because, as you can see, the page is sort of a little bit confusing on here. There's a cool picture of a gorilla. Let me just try that sentence one more time. Uh, that was a fail. Um, Harry supposed that the wind must have caught him in mid-jump. But today, nothing was going to go wrong. It was even worth being with Dudley and Piers to be spending the day somewhere that wasn't school. So... I can't believe I just started reading the wrong bit. That really confused me then. But anyway, imagine you were just in school. You were running away and you suddenly ended up on the roof. I mean, that's the sort... I don't know how you can just shrug that off, even if you're 10 or 11. Like, that's absolutely mental. Like, you'd think you had some sort of superpower. Like, you'd think you'd just come straight out like, like Avengers or something. Not that Avengers were a thing back when Harry was a kid. Or definitely that he would have been allowed to watch Marvel, even if it was. But that's kind of ridiculous really i don't i don't even know what you say about that um but yeah i mean at this point they mustn't they, they must be putting pieces together anyway we're in the car then and uncle vernon is complaining in the car uh, and at some point he mentions motorbikes uh again i've just made ah it says here this morning it was motorbikes roaring along like maniacs the young hoodlums he said as a motorbike overtook them this causes harry to pipe up he mentions his motorbike dream obviously about the flying one which causes vernon to nearly crash the car and yells motorbikes don't fly 
Now again, I don't know if this is specifically because he knew that Harry arrived on a motorbike or if it's just because he doesn't like the mention of uh, magic. I think that's probably up to interpretation. I guess it just depends how detailed that letter from Dumbledore was. That's the sort of thing I'd love, like, JK to release maybe one day. Maybe she has. Uh, I know in the past I've had a go at her for saying too much post-series and adding too many details, but that'd be quite a cool one. I'd love to know how much they knew. Um, just to get an idea, like, how you'd react if a letter like that turned up on your doorstep, to be honest. Um... So anyway, uh, it explains here, but he, he wished he hadn't said anything. If there was one thing that Dursley's hated even more than him asking questions, it was talking about anything acting in a way it shouldn't. No matter if it was in a dream or even a cartoon, they seemed to think he might get dangerous ideas. And I suppose in general, this kind of explains why the wizarding world are so passionate about not letting muggles find out about magic, because it would freak them out. I mean... And, and also, like, not just freak you out, but jealousy. I mean, I certainly know if I found out that the wizarding world was real and I was a muggle, I'd be absolutely gutted. I'd hate it. Um, so anyway, moving on from that. They've arrived at the zoo. Uh, they go for an ice cream and Harry gets lucky. Uh, Dudley and Piers get large chocolate ice creams, but just before Aunt Petunia can pull them all away, the ice cream man asks Harry what he'd like, and he ends up getting a cheap lemon lolly, which is lovely. And... And they sort of make it sound like he got the worst one there. I like like those sort of cheap lem lemony ones. They're quite nice. They're refreshing. Um, right now, I'd probably have one of those over a chocolate ice cream. Uh, I don't think I'd have one in general, but in this moment, that sounds quite nice. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go down to the freezer after this podcast and see if we've got one. I don't think we do. Anyway, Harry has a great day at the zoo, which is lovely because he sounds like, uh, even though we've only met him a couple of pages ago, he sounds like he really deserves it. The highlight for him is that he got Dudley's Knickerbocker Glory when they ordered one at lunch and the first one wasn't big enough. So, Dudley has had 37 presents today and an extra large Knickerbocker Glory and a chocolate ice cream and I presume they had a full English for breakfast because Harry was making, uh, was making bacon at breakfast, so... Not a bad day. Not not a bad day at all. I, I think we can all agree on that. If that was your birthday at 11, you'd be absolutely buzzing. So, they all want to go to the reptile... Well, du sorry, Dudley wants to go to the reptile house. Who knows what the rest of them want to do, but it kind of sounds like what Dudley wants, Dudley gets every single time. And he goes up to the largest snake and he wants it to move. Um, and it's not moving because, let's face it, it's a snake. Snakes don't listen to humans. Or so we think. So, Harry's gone over to this snake after Dudley's gone, and he feels sorry for it being trapped there bored. Uh, you know, he says it's worse than being stuck in his cupboard. At least he gets to visit, visit the rest of his house. I suppose the rest of his house being the fact that his sort of caged-off area is more roomy than the cupboard. I don't know, but that just shows to me how selfless and, and lovely Harry is. Because even though he's got such a horrible life, he can look at someone or an animal and, and think, you know, you've got it. I, I guess worse which is so I've just realized I've misinterpreted that what I've said in my notes Harry gets to visit the rest of the house whereas the snake is, is sort of stuck in his cage the whole time so again Harry's sort of saying you know even though he sleeps in a cupboard this snake has it worse than him which I think it just says a lot about his personality really it's really making us I guess like Harry which is important because you know throughout the series there are times where Harry does lose his temper and maybe says the wrong thing, but it's important that early on in this first book, you establish as the reader how much you care about Harry, because you can understand then why he makes certain choices and why sometimes he goes off the rail and says the wrong thing and 
and you know does things with his heart over his head because that's the sort of person he is and, and that's why we love him so harry goes up to the snake and the snake suddenly opens its beady eyes very slowly it raises its head towards harry and it winked harry stared then he looked quickly around to see if anyone was watching they weren't he looked back at the snake and winked too the snake jerked its head towards uncle vernon and dudley then raised its eyes to the ceiling it gave harry a look that said quite plainly i get that all the time i know harry murmured through the glass though he wasn't sure the snake could hear him it must be really annoying the snake nodded vigorously where do you come from anyway harry asked the snake jabbed the snake jabbed its tail at a little sign next to the glass harry peered at it boa constrictor brazil was it was it nice there the boa constrictor jabbed its tail at the sign again and harry read on this specimen was bred in the zoo oh i see so you've never been to brazil as the snake shook its head a deafening shout behind harry made both of them jump dudley mr dursley come and look at this snake you won't believe what it's doing and at that point dudley runs over punches harry to the floor to get a better look at the snake and the glass just vanishes so there's a there's a hell of a lot to break down there so firstly this snake can evidently understand harry which again i don't want to give spoilers for later in the series but you know that's obviously magic but a hell of a, a power that's not just any old sort of household magic like making you know a sweater shrink or something that's speaking to a deadly venomous animal which is kind of unreal um and again would blow your mind if you were an 11 year old or, or again just about to turn 11 um and you were talking to this snake i'm actually going to show as a little bonus to the youtube viewers the picture of harry looking at the snake in the illustrated book because i said in the last episode i'd try and do that at least once per episode and show you one of the cool pictures to have a little look at so i hope I've, i hope i showed the camera properly and you got a good a good view um so anyway dudley's come straight over punched harry out the way because dudley's cruel presumably the dudley's have said absolutely nothing about this because they don't care they probably found it funny to be honest but the glass has just completely vanished now that's a big difference in the film in the film obviously Piers actually isn't there. I didn't even reference that before. Piers isn't in the film. He's one of many characters who will go through in these in this book series that if you've only read the films, you've probably never met before. But no, it's just the Dursleys and Harry in the in the um in the film version. In this book, Piers is here, and Piers is the one who notices that the snake is moving. And when Dudley comes over, the glass vanishes and he doesn't fall in. He falls into the cage in the um or into the what would you call it? The basically just the snake's area in the film which i would just say would absolutely terrify me i think that snakes could be my biggest fear maybe uh i, I don't know i lived in australia for 10 months after i finished school and, and i was absolutely terrified at first you sort of get used to it but like you'd go and play golf and you'd be on the golf course and it'd have signs saying beware snakes and over here i mean i'm a terrible golfer so if you smash a golf ball and it goes into the sort of i guess the the foresty area if it goes into a bush you go and find it there was no way i was doing that in australia because you know exactly what's hiding in there waiting to get you so i hate snakes but thankfully in this book one he doesn't actually fall into the snake pit uh the glass just vanishes in uh the glass just vanishes sorry and the snake uncoils and slithers to the floor and causes absolute panic as it would um i actually don't know if boa constrictors how dangerous they are probably should have researched that but if anybody knows their snakes and wants to talk about that 
let me know because I'd be interested, but I would be terrified. I mean, obviously this snake has got no intention of attacking everybody, but again, I'm going to show you another another picture here from the book. This is a whole full spread across two pictures. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you can see there just the massive snake uncoiled and look at the size of him compared to the actual people. That is absolutely mental. You would be terrified. So h uh, <laughs> i've just said h because in my notes i put h instead of harry harry thought he heard the snake say to him brazil here i come thanks amigo now someone needs to tell this poor snake that it's going to take him a long time to get to brazil i mean snakes aren't exactly going to swim and i don't think he's going to have much luck getting onto an airplane because if somebody sees him coming well he's massive they're going to notice and you're not going to let him just sneak into your luggage so Maybe he made it to Brazil. I hope he did, um, but it might have taken him a long time. And I don't know the average life expectancy of a boa constrictor, but you know what? Good luck to him. Good luck to him. Uh, I've got a feeling he didn't make it, though. But again, I wonder if he was actually captured at the zoo, because I wouldn't go near a free snake. Even if I worked at it, I'd go, do you know what? Have your fun. Leave. But make sure you go nowhere near my house. Um, thanks a lot. So anyway, after this whole fiasco is over, the zookeeper makes a cup of tea for Amper Jr. and can't apologise enough. Um, again, feel a bit sorry for him because what was he supposed to do? I mean, his glass has vanished and he probably has to pay to replace it and he probably has to pay for a new snake and he may have to pay a lot of money towards, um, I guess, distress uh, that he's caused to people. He'd have to certainly give everyone their money back, surely, who'd, who'd attended that day. I mean, you know, he's apologising a lot, but God, there must be a lot going through his head right now. He must be panicking. Um, Dudley and Piers then were back in the car, and they're making up all these stories. They're saying the snake almost squeezed them to death and nearly bit their legs off, which I don't really get. Like, I, we all know people who exaggerate and lie and make stories, and if they went into school and were saying that, I'd get it, but literally everyone in the car was there. They know it's a lie. Stop lying for the sake of it. That's such a proper, like, I guess, 11-year-old sort of thing to do. Anyway, they get back to the house and then suddenly Vernon tells Harry, go to his cupboard, um, no meals, stay there, you're locked in. Uh, and this, to me, was a little bit weird. Because, uh, well, I say weird. No, it's not, because we know the Dursleys. But if I was Harry, I'd be very, very confused because, you know, he has absolutely no idea how that's happened. That had nothing to do with him. In fact, he was by the snake for ages and nothing happened. Suddenly, Dudley pushes him out of the way. And the glass vanishes. If anyone's going to have the finger pointed, surely it's Dudley. Uh, but obviously, we all know exactly why. Um, because Vernon has clearly clocked that it's magic. Now, this was the other one, though. I was wondering at this point. Like, obviously, again, a little spoiler warning. But his letter to Hogwarts is going to turn up. And, and everyone's very surprised. Surely they'd clocked, though, that he was about to start secondary school. All this magic is happening. At this point, you'd kind of realise that some, you know he's probably going to go to Hogwarts. Surely you'd start preparing for that and getting yourself ready, but it's weird that it catches them by, you know, off guard, because the signs are there. They can obviously see it, but anyway. So, finally, we're going to read through the last little bit. We're on the last page now, or the last page, at least, of the illustrated version. We're going to go through quite a long paragraph now talking about Harry being stuck in his cupboard. Harry lay in his dark cupboard much later, wishing he had a watch. He didn't know what time it was, and he couldn't be sure the Dursleys were asleep yet. Until they were, he couldn't risk sneaking to the kitchen for some food. I mean, that's horrible, that. The fact that you have to sneak to get food. I mean, no wonder he's so skinny. Like, even if, 
even if you're completely angry and you've locked him in the cupboard and you slide him through some cold beans, which is cruel enough, I mean, you've got to feed it. Like, that's just cruelty. That's horrible. Um, he'd lived with the Dursleys almost ten years, ten miserable years, as long as he could remember, ever since he'd been a baby and his parents had died in that car crash. He couldn't remember being in the car when his parents had died. Sometimes when he strained his memory during long hours in his cupboard, he came up with a strange vision, a blinding flash of green light and a burning pain on his forehead. This he supposed was the crash, though he couldn't imagine where all the green light came from. He couldn't remember his parents at all. His aunt and uncle never spoke about them, and of course he was forbidden to ask questions. There were no photographs of them in the house. So just looking at that, I mean, for people who've read, you know exactly what the green light is, so I'm not going to say anything, but spoiler, you know, it, it wasn't to do with... Well, I, I keep saying that we sort of we're pretty much told in chapter one how they died but i'm not going to say it because it kind of gets revealed a little bit more as the story goes on exactly what the green light was and and all of that sort of stuff but it wasn't a car crash was it um but obviously harry has no idea you know you wouldn't start imagining that they've been killed by some sort of magic because that's mental um, when he'd been younger, Harry had dreamed and dreamed of some unknown re relation coming to take him away, but it had never happened. Now that's some foreshadowing for book number three, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a long time. Uh, the Dursleys were his only family, yet sometimes he thought or maybe hoped the strangers in the street seemed to know him. Very strange strangers they were too. A tiny man in a violet top hat had bowed to him once while out shopping with Aunt Petunia and Dudley. After asking Harry furiously if he knew the man, Aunt Petunia had rushed them out of the shop without buying anything. A wild-looking woman, dressed all in green, had waved merrily at him once on a bus. A bald man in a very long purple coat had actually shaken his hand the other, in the street the other day and then walked away without a word. Now, I think if you saw someone waving at you, you'd probably just assume maybe she was a little bit batty, maybe she didn't understand what was going on, or maybe she was waving at someone behind you. Someone coming up to you and shaking your hand in the street, though, that would make you suddenly think, hmm, um, what's this all about then? Especially if they don't say anything. I mean, that's a bit weird. Then I was also thinking, like, this really made me think, how do these people recognise him? Because surely, I mean, they might have seen what he looked like as a baby if they knew the Potters, but, you know, he's 11 now. or Sorry, nearly 11. Um, and he's had no sort of relationship with anybody in the wizarding world you know I, I can't imagine there are loads of pictures of him around maybe there are but I, I i guess maybe the scar maybe everybody's heard about his lightning bolt scar so they can recognize him off that but i don't know i thought that was a little bit weird anyway the weirdest thing about all these people was the way they seemed to vanish the second harry tried to get a closer look again you could you could probably explain that in your head as as a young kid in thinking oh i guess maybe i looked away and then they were gone but the more you think about it, and I suppose when you know what this sort of story's about, they've disapparated, which is a fancy word for vanishing and appearing somewhere else that we'll again learn about later. So finally, at school, Harry had no one. Everyone knew that Dudley's gang hated that odd Harry Potter in his baggy old clothes and broken glasses, and nobody liked to disagree with Dudley's gang. And that is the end of chapter two. And again, that will explain later on in the story why relationships and friendships are so important to harry because he goes from having absolutely nobody to having close friends which is so special but there you have it that is the end of chapter two so i hope everybody's enjoyed my voice is almost going from recording one video uh obviously you know I, i'm sort of i'm really trying my best with these they're a little bit sort of I, I know sometimes i hesitate quite a lot i lose where i'm up to so i, I do sort of apologize for that it is something that 
you know, we're only two chapters into this. I mean, there's going to be hundreds of chapters to go through, aren't there? Well, at least over 100. There's going to be a lot of episodes of this. So I'm hoping it's something I get used to over the years and just it becomes a lot more natural. I think it's quite nice that we're sort of easing in with some smaller chapters for now. Maybe when we get towards like the Order of the Phoenix, we might have to do half a chapter an episode because they're going to be very long. But we'll see. I'm, I'm really enjoying this, though. If, if everyone else is, please do, you know, follow, support on podcast sites, subscribe and turn post notifications on on YouTube. If anybody fancies getting involved in the podcast, maybe that's sort of sending in some little bits of information, some extra details that I could read out and credit for people. If anyone fancied a guest appearance on the podcast, I'd sort of love to get people on. Obviously, I guess the only sort of real requirement because it's sort of available as an audio only would be having a decent quality microphone. I mean, mine's not the best. I'd love to, when I get some money, upgrade it to a better podcast one. But I suppose as long as someone had a good microphone and it was clear and was good then if they fancied coming on the podcast maybe you're a harry potter expert or you've never read it and we could get the sort of i guess impression of someone who's never read the book before and is reading it for the first time so these are some exciting ideas i've had but please do like and subscribe the next episode will be out next friday at 6 p.m where we'll be learning a little bit more about the introduction to the magical world thank you for watching and goodbye